0: Do we need to rethink that testosterone treatment has a place in the health care of men? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And joining us today to discuss testosterone therapy is Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, Associate Clinical Professor of Urology at Harvard Medical School and the author of the recent best-selling book, Testosterone for Life. Thank you very much, doctor, for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. To begin with, what prompted you to write this book, and for whom did you write it for?
1: Well, I wrote this book for the public, really, although I think it's pretty good for professionals as well. I'm a urologist. I've been doing sexual medicine for over 20 years, and did some research even as an undergraduate on testosterone in lizards, as it turns out, and and then graduated to humans. Sometimes the women think there's not much difference between lizards and men. When I came out of my training, I started doing this work, and what was really surprising to me was, number one, how effective testosterone therapy was, not just for the sexual dysfunction that I was treating men with, but in these other ways that, frankly, I hadn't even been trained on, you know, in terms of energy and mood and all these other things. But what's still remarkable is 20 years later, how the idea of low testosterone and its treatment and what it means for men hasn't quite sort of come to public consciousness and is just now beginning to really be there as a concept for doctors in primary care.
0: What are some of the things that low testosterone may cause a patient to come to his primary care doctor for?
1: Well, the hallmark symptom, you know, that's true and it's been around and everybody sort of knows about it is libido, low sexual desire, the hunger for sex is sort of blunted or it happens less frequently. Sometimes the guys may still have desire, but, you know, they may say, you know, I can go a week or more without feeling any urge. That's not what it used to be like. But I like to break it into sexual and non-sexual symptoms. The sexual symptoms are diminished desire, erectile dysfunction, Difficulty achieving an orgasm, like it takes more work or concentration or time. Uh, Diminished intensity of the orgasm experience. Instead of the guy saying, well, that felt great. You know, some of the guys say, you know, it still may feel good, but it's not like it used to. I had one guy the other day tell me it just felt like it was a relief rather than some positive thing. Those are the primary sexual symptoms. The non-sexual symptoms that, especially in primary care, the doctors may hear is chronic fatigue, lack of energy, lack of motivation, feeling almost like they've got a, a brain fog. Some of the guys describe it as if they're, every day they're walking through mud. You know, there's just sort of that extra effort to get anything done, falling asleep after meals. And then something that's sort of more recent is, you know, we're on an exercise kick in this country. Maybe we need more and more of it. But there are a lot of guys who go to the gym. They know how much weight they can move and how they progress. And the guys say, you know, I haven't been able to make my usual progression those are the primary symptoms. The other one that's really interesting now is this overlap around mood. So a lot of the men with low testosterone, turns out, may not be out and out you know, depressed, but they feel flat, they feel blah, they feel gray. And then an interesting thing is sometimes if the wives or the girlfriends are there, I'll ask the guys, do you feel cranky or irritable these days? And often the guys will say, no, I think I'm okay. And And the women are nodding their head like, yes, he really does have a shorter fuse. But the guys may not be aware of it, but the people around them may.
0: In my practice, men were very reticent to complain about anything. They very often put their best foot forward with their doctor. Everything is great. And I would back into this diagnosis when I took their height, and they were getting shorter. My practice was in internal medicine, and as I aged, so did my practice. And so this was one of the things that, gee, why are they getting shorter? And then you began to look for osteoporosis, and you would back into the low testosterone problem just by taking somebody's height. Is this something that certainly is an issue, and I think probably underdiagnosed in the male population?
1: Well, that's a really interesting story. You know, there is, and of course makes sense, I don't think most guys are aware of it. We're all used to sort of getting measured and stuff as we go through high school or go see the pediatrician as we're getting older. Once guys reach their, you know, mid-adult years, it's unusual for them to get their height taken anywhere, even in many medical practices. I mean, good for you for doing it. But, of course, it goes along with it. There is a screening questionnaire for testosterone deficiency or its other name, hypogonadism, which is called the ADAM, A-D-A-M, for androgen deficiency of the aging male. And one of the questions is about have you lost height? Because it does go along with this. And there is this remarkable association between low testosterone and osteoporosis in men. And part of our practice, even though I'm a urologist, I do so much testosterone work that we do DEXA scans in men. Because low testosterone is associated with this. And not only, you know, we find a fair amount of osteoporosis, much more than we would expect in the natural population. And, uh, you know, when you look at the images, the images on the DEXA scans, you're not really supposed to be making you know diagnoses of vertebral fractures whatever but it's x-ray technology you get an image And it's not unusual at all for us to see, you know, these wedge fractures or compressions of the vertebrae.
0: I'm an avid sports fan, and anabolic steroids have become really a dirty word, and it probably has filtered into our culture. Uh, Testosterone and related drugs are all bad. How do you get patients to accept that there may be some good, especially since Congress has now called testosterone a controlled substance with a possible five years in jail? And don't you think that this might make a difference in how quickly we're going to prescribe
1: Man, this is a difficult issue because testosterone in general has a lot of bad associations. One of them is this one that you're mentioning about anabolic steroids and cheating and the bad athletes. You know, the other for physicians is the fear about testosterone and prostate cancer. But, you know, I had a patient not that long ago who came to see me had low testosterone. I wrote about him in my book. And he's sort of a salt-of-the-earth guy, you know, manual labor. And he's got classic symptoms of testosterone. And I really thought that he was going to get benefit from treatment. And so I wrote out the prescription for one of the uh, testosterone products. And as I'm handing him the prescription, he says, Now, doctor, this isn't one of those steroids, is it? And, of course, it is a steroid. And then the conversation goes into our bodies are loaded with steroids normally. It's a natural chemical you know, we have a variety of steroids in our body, including cholesterol, by the way, estrogen is a steroid, you know, things that, you know, cortisol is a steroid, but in the end, he didn't want it, no matter what I said, and so that association, you know, is a difficult one, and even people who are better educated and understand the explanation still have some hesitation if it comes up as a category, our association's with it are so powerfully negative. But I would clarify one thing, which is that people also think that testosterone then is illegal as a controlled substance It's important for the listeners to understand, whether they're physicians or healthcare providers or just, you know, regular folks, that testosterone is not illegal. It's legal. It just needs to be prescribed by a physician and has to be prescribed for medical indications, namely the normalization of a testosterone deficiency.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me to discuss testosterone therapy is Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, Associate Clinical Professor of Urology at Harvard Medical School. Well, some people say that there are two to five million American males who have low testosterone. Should we be testing more of them, even those without symptoms, similar to Checking somebody's blood sugar or cholesterol?
1: At the risk of sounding like a a complete zealot, I think that testosterone is going to be the next big thing in medicine. And I think that within 5 or 10 years, men of a certain age, whether it's 40, 45, 50, are going to get their testosterone levels checked as a routine thing and are going to know their numbers just like they often know their cholesterol numbers or their PSA numbers. And the reason I think so is... The data coming out that associates testosterone with a variety of some of the most important medical conditions that we know of is getting stronger and stronger. Example, if you look at diabetic men, adult onset diabetes, studies show multiple ones now that somewhere between 40 and 50 percent of those men are going to have low levels of testosterone. So that's an association. So what do we do with that? Well, it's unclear. But even more interesting with the diabetes story, is that if you take men without diabetes, without the metabolic syndrome, and you follow them longitudinally, and there are several studies like this now, men who are in the lowest quartile of testosterone without symptoms, just based only on their blood tests, have double the risk of developing diabetes and or the metabolic syndrome an average of 11 years down the road double the risk compared to men with higher testosterone levels. Men with low testosterone, again, just by blood tests, lowest quartile, increased risk of osteoporosis, increased risk of fractures, low trauma fractures, meaning you have to have an injury from a standing height or less. It's associated with obesity, which, of course, is now like epidemic proportions in this country. And then one thing that's just unbelievable is there are now four studies published just in the last few years. In the United States and in Europe, that men with low testosterone die sooner than men with normal testosterones, matched for comorbidities. So, this story is that it's not only all about sex anymore and about sex drive, it's that testosterone has important implications for a variety of organs, tissues, structures in our body, and for overall health. And knowing whether somebody has normal or low testosterone may indicate what is the health prognosis down the road.
0: Well, when you do find a patient with low testosterone, are there other associated things you should look for before you start treatment?
1: Sure. So, you know, I make a distinction between young men with low testosterone and older men. As we get older, testosterone levels tend to decline. It becomes incredibly common as guys get into their 50s and 60s and beyond. For the younger guys, I do think it's important to sort of figure out what may be predisposing them to having this Assuming they've gone through puberty, normal, have had normal development, they've sort of been normal guys, which excludes, you know, some of the sort of more unusual and uh, serious sort of congenital or acquired early life issues, there still are some things that we need to check. So, for instance, I think it's important to get a prolactin, especially in younger men, because prolactinomas, although uncommon, can certainly do this. Men who have very low testosterone associated with very small testicles, or who have a little bit of gynecomastia should definitely have chromosome testing for Klinefelter disease, which is not all that unusual at all. I think those are the main ones. If a young guy has low testosterone, I think it's important that you get gonadotropin levels, LH, FSH, and then I throw in a prolactin with that.
0: It's interesting you mentioned LH. When I went to medical school, in the workup of this particular problem, you either looked for a high LH or a low LH, But isn't it possible that a normal LH may also figure into this particular syndrome?
1: Absolutely. So that's actually a critical point that you're making. You're right. When we were in medical school, there were only two choices. You know, if you could pronounce it, you know, cleanly, you sort of got a prize. Hypergonadotropic hypogonadism and hypogonadotropic hypogonadism based on whether the LH level was high or low associated with a low level of testosterone. And it was an indication and continues to be used as an indication of primary or secondary hypogonadism. So if it's primary, if the testicle is doing badly in which case your LH should be high. It's coming from the pituitary and the signal is there, but the testicles are not responding. If the LH is low, it means that there's a central problem. You know, some, For whatever reason, the pituitary isn't putting out enough of a signal to the testicle, and that's called secondary hypogonetism. But here's the thing is that the average run-of-the-mill garden variety low testosterone of aging, which accounts for probably 95% of my practice and the practice of anybody who does this work in adult medicine, the LH actually is normal. And it comes about almost like a balancing act between the testicle being able to produce less testosterone despite an adequate signal and the sensing mechanism centrally, hypothalamus and pituitary, being less sensitive to low levels. And so they're not able to produce as much of the LH. So a common question I get when I speak to medical audiences about this is, doctor, I have a patient whose testosterone was low, but his LH was in the normal range Should I bother to treat him? And the answer is yes, absolutely. That's a very common thing. It didn't fit into the two categories we learned about when we were in medical school or in training, but it's common. And actually, all we really care about, we don't really care that much about LH except to help us sometimes, in the extreme cases, explain why there's a problem. The actual effector cell that matters to the body is testosterone. If it's low for whatever reason... And if the guy has symptoms, there's a good chance he's going to see symptomatic benefit if we treat the low testosterone.
0: Well, we've certainly been talking about a new approach to something that we shied away from medical school and later on in our residencies, and that is the use of testosterone in our male patients. It appears that a whole new area is opening up for the use of this drug. And I'd like to thank our guest from Harvard Medical School, Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, who has been discussing low testosterone and testosterone therapy. He has also written the best-selling book, Testosterone for Life. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Great to be with you.
0: And I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.